following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? You know, there's just such an excitement. Um, just being together, that the fellowship of the saints is something that we can never take for granted, that um, the common union, the thing that we have in common, we're going to be celebrating communion today. And communion is something that is celebrated all around the world. And uh, there isn't a lot of, you know, people have different traditions, different ways that they break bread together. But in the Christian church, it's always about a proclamation of the work and the death and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's common. I'll, you just came back from Indonesia. Did you have communion there? Yeah. What was the center point? Jesus. Jesus on the other side of the world, you know, showing forth his death. And that's the thing that brings us all together. So we're going to look uh, at communion today. Um, by the way, Susan Wagner put together this arrangement. Isn't it beautiful? Our Advent arrangement, and uh, there was a pachyderm for it. He carried it in, and so that's all good. Thank you so much. I'm going to start out in uh, with a very familiar scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. It's the scripture that we generally either read or we quote or we uh, somehow bounce off of when we do communion. Uh, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're making a declaration, a proclamation today of something that has happened in hopes of something that is yet to happen. That we're, 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 we're declaring because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can look for the return of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we were in prayer on Thursday morning, and the scripture was really highlighted to us, uh, the, the parable of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And the question came up, how do we keep oil in our lamps? And, uh, you know, that's a good question. And it's something that we can pursue. It's something that we can seek, we can look after. But it, it basically has to do with the hope that we are continually living in looking for the return of the Christ, looking for the return of the bridegroom. <laughs> I mean, it's like, do you get excited about that? The, the return of Christ has been clouded over by so much controversy. Pre-trib rapture, no rapture, you know, post-trib rapture, this kind of a thing, that kind of thing. And, and it gets clouded over uh, for the joy and anticipation of the Lord Jesus Christ returning. And catching up 
his bride in the air. <laughs> and so we'll always be with the Lord. So as we break bread together, we're proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes. This is what we do in remembrance of him until he comes. What a joyful celebration. What a, what, what a beautiful celebration. Now, I want to set some both scriptural and some cultural context for when this was written. You know, it's a tragedy that all we do is we read this scripture and we don't understand why Paul was writing this scripture and what he was after when he was writing this scripture. It's actually a teaching that he's doing. It actually starts in about chapter 8 uh, and it's concerning idolatry in the church. Idolatry, you know, that, that remember Paul was going to Corinth with a gospel of one God and one king and one who had died rose again and is coming again. And that was really a, an affront to the Corinthian people. They had many gods. They had many practices. They had many uh, demonic and cultic practices that were very active at that time. And the temptation was to take what they had been in and somehow intermingle it with this gospel that Paul was preaching. And one of the things that was very common in that day was um, eating and celebrating a meal for the dead. It was idolatry. They, there were many in that culture that believed that when a person died, they actually became a deity. And so they would have a feast to the people that were dead thinking that they could somehow earn the favor of what was now a deity. And usually those kinds of revelings, revelry, <laughs> it was partying, it was, there was drunkenness, and there was fornication, there was adultery. There was uh, all sorts of sexual immorality that took place at those things. How many know that sexual immorality is one of the things that is common in cultic activities? And... Uh, different um, religions of the world. See, and Paul is saying, no, not here. That's not going to happen here. Well, let's read it. I want to turn back to chapter 10 and verse 14. A great scripture. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You know, can you imagine coming into, well, our culture right now isn't that far from what Paul had, is it? And I don't say that critically. I don't say it. How many know that light shines the best in darkness? And that, you know, darkness doesn't dispel light. Light dispels darkness, right? So if our culture is looking a lot like the Corinthian culture right now, where there's all sorts of perversions being promoted as normal. This is part of who we are, and it's celebrated. You know, and there's, there's the kind of reveling that goes on that celebrates really uh, all sorts of sexual perversion, uh, greed, um, hatred, just everything that's going on in our nation. And, you know, we shouldn't be too shocked because a nation or a people that's devoid of Christ are only doing what people do. Right? And so we can't get all upset about that. In fact, you'll find that Paul, 
had a way of dealing with idolatry in that way. And it was something like this, you know, idolatry is really nothing. It doesn't mean anything. If somebody presents meat to me, and I'm not going to ask if it was offered to idols. It doesn't matter to me. It, it's, it makes no difference. So, but if somebody offers me meat and says, you know, this is offered to idols, well, then I'm not going to eat it. Not for my conscience' sake, but for the sake of the conscience of the others. And so Paul was always trying to be able to minister life in the middle of death and in the middle of some really hard things that were going on in the culture at the time. So it says, flee idolatry. And we could go into what is the modern day idolatries that we have, but I'm afraid they're so subtle and so hidden. Well, some of them are very overt, but in our hearts, how many have dark rooms in your heart? (laughs) I'm not going to go there. Might come under conviction. I speak to you as wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to an idol is anything? No. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons." There's a scripture that, a couple of scriptures that uh, show the struggle and the the battle that Paul was fighting here. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, is a letter to the church of uh, Thyatira. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things offered to idols. Also to the church of Pergamos. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual adultery. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hold, which was a similar doctrine. Now it's interesting, Balaam... You remember how Balak tried to get him to curse the army of Israel. And he did it a couple of times, but Balaam couldn't speak a curse against Israel. All he could do was speak blessing on the nation of Israel, on the army of Israel. But somewhere in there, he taught Balak how to bring Israel down, how to bring the nation down. And it was this thing, teaching them to eat things sacrificed to idols. What's the big deal? Eating something sacrificed to idols. When you do it in, in faith like they were doing, it was that they were actually partaking of something. There's something about eating and drinking in the Bible that it means that it, it's something that you give yourself wholeheartedly to or you totally consume. In Psalms, David talked about, or the, the psalmist talked about, you eat my people like bread. 
that the, the, the warring armies would eat the people of God like bread, that there was a consuming, there was an overtaking. Um, but when we eat and drink something together, there's something that happens. How many know that there is a blessing of having fellowship across the table from somebody? You know, I, I like that better than just hanging out at a ball game or doing something. There's something about eating together. There's, there's something about actually sharing a meal together. I think one of the tragedies in our culture right now is that we as families don't actually eat together. You know, you know what I'm saying? Can I just encourage us as, as the people of God, as young parents, keep the, the, the uh, supper table sacred. And by that I mean... Make sure that you make an appointment with your kids. Make sure you make an appointment with your uh, spouse to eat that meal together. Several meals during the day is better, but at least the supper table. Why? Because there's things that happen across the table where you're actually feeding on one another and not just the food. And that's what fellowship is. It says here, the, the definition of fellowship or the communion, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ and the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The word there is uh, koinonia, and it means fellowship. But it's more than just a general, well, hi, how you doing? You know, we're meeting together. Uh, my old pastor, Denver Jones, used to say, it's two fellows in a ship. In other words, you're in this together. <laughs> and the, the term of fellowship is really an enduring to one another. In fact, it calls it an intercourse, a social intercourse. It is that kind of an intertwining of one another. See, we as the body of Christ, how many of you have experienced it? You go somewhere, you meet somebody, and like you know, oh, I feel something here. And you talk and you realize that they're believers in Christ. And and that you have this immediate fellowship one with another. You join, you have something in common. And you know that it's, in, it, it's the, the, the person of Jesus. And that's such a, an amazing thing to have that happen wherever we go, where we have this union. And that's what this fellowship is. It's more than just a, well, I signed in the contract on a dotted line, and whether I keep it or not, you know... You know, how many know that contracts are cheap nowadays? <laughs> but this is almost like a covenant that we have with one another. And the covenant that we have with one another is the covenant in the blood of Christ and in the body of Christ. What we're celebrating today is a covenant that was made with me in Christ. And if Christ has a covenant with me and he's got a covenant with you, then we've got covenant with one another. And there is a unity, there's a union, there's a oneness that we have because of the fellowship that we have in Christ. Fellowship's a big deal. Fellowship is something where when we come together, my actions actually affect you as the body of Christ. And your actions affect me as the body of Christ. That's what it means to be in fellowship. One of the ways that this kind of fellowship, this kind of unity, this kind of oneness is demonstrated is in the marriage covenant. 
The thing about this kind of fellowship is something has to die in order to give yourself to something. See, when I, 44 years ago, 44 years, three months, no, I don't know how many days, but over 44 years ago, I stood at an altar with Susie and I said, I am going to die to what I was. I am no longer a single man where my choices affect only me, and we're two individuals here. I'm dying to that identity so that I can be joined to you in covenant and in fellowship. And that's the fellowship that we have with one another. See, when I died in Christ, entered into his death and his burial and his resurrection then I actually became a part of his family. And I actually have fellowship with those who are called by his name. See, this is the significance of the communion that we share. This is the significance of breaking bread together. That it is really one loaf. You know the, the, the bread that we have here? At one time, it probably wasn't one loaf because I got my own little loaf here. You guys got to split one. But it was one batch of dough. And it, it, it's one. And as we partake, how many know that when you eat something, when you uh, partake of something, it actually becomes part of you? I mean, it goes through all the digestive system and everything you know, that happens in that. But it actually becomes you. And so as we eat of one loaf together, then we are one with one another. And that happens in the Spirit too, because how many know that eating in the Bible isn't just about physical eating? There is a, an eating in the Spirit. When the Apostle, when uh, Jesus was restoring Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, well, you, I love you. Well, then go feed my sheep. He wasn't talking about go buy them a bunch of bread or call on a miracle and feed the 5,000. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, Peter, if you really love me, you will present yourself to the body of Christ in the way that they can actually feed off of you. You can be life and you can, be, you can bring who I am into people's lives where they can actually be nourished in the body, in, in, nourished inside. They can be strengthened by who you are, Peter. Feed my sheep. Ah, do you hear the voice of the shepherd saying to you this morning, feed my sheep, be life, be light, be food, be drink to somebody today. That's what it means when it's talking here about the fellowship that we have. And this fellowship is so holy. It is so pure. And that we can't partake. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul is coming against here. There were some that were saying, well, we did this. We offered sacrifices to dead people before. We're just going to bring that into the church. I mean, this thing that communion where you're celebrating a dead guy, we used to do that. Let's do it here. You know, we'll bring our orgies and we'll bring our revelries and we'll bring our drunkenness. We'll bring our inconsiderateness. And we're going to do this thing. 
See, this is the context that the Apostle Paul culturally and scripturally that he is battling against here. And it's such a stark difference to him that he says, man, don't you guys see it? Don't you get it? You cannot eat from the table of God and then also partake from the table of demons. There's a conflict going on here. How many know that what you eat really matters? And there are so many banquets spread for us in this nation. I want to encourage you, be careful what you eat. Be careful what you digest. Be careful what you take in. Because it becomes you. One way or the other, it becomes you. What you eat actually feeds you and it becomes you. And that what I become is what I have to offer others. It's a big deal. We cannot eat from the table of God and from the table of demons. So the Apostle Paul is coming against this practice that they had of eating sacrifices that were offered to idols. Not because he had faith that that meat was tainted in any way. He says, no, all things are legal for me. That doesn't matter one way or the other. Doesn't matter. It's not about the meat. It's about the faith and about the practice and about what we're consuming in the spirit realm that Paul was concerned about. So he says, so if a guy offers me meat that is sacrificed to an idol, he doesn't say anything, I'll eat it. Not a big deal. But if he says something about it, there's something going on in him that because of love, I'll pay attention to. There's a couple of statements that Paul makes in this whole discourse. I, you can read it all. I mean, it's really good stuff. But after that, it, down in verse 33, he says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now, Paul's not saying I live a sloppy, agape, careless life there. He's not saying that at all. He's saying there are some things that just really aren't that big a deal unless you put faith in it. He didn't put faith in food that was sacrificed to idols. What he put faith in is that I can make a difference in somebody's life and I can, by the Spirit, understand that I can treat this situation one way and I can treat this other situation a different way because of love because of having people's salvation in mind. Isn't that cool? You don't have to worry about if somebody slipped a demon-laden, uh, a sacrifice a demon hamburger in your bun. You, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Unless they tell you. Then it's more about them than it is about you or about than the hamburger. I love the way Paul reasons this out. He becomes all things to all men. That doesn't mean that he lived, again, a sinful, a sloppy life. It doesn't mean that at all. It just meant that he would live in the context of a sinful world, a sinful nation, in a way that he could win somebody without compromising his life. 
without compromising his soul. That's where we're at, guys. There's another interesting, this is a kind of a, a side here. Uh, but down the end of, in uh, verse 16 of chapter 11, chapter 11 is one of those really confusing uh, portions of Scripture because it talks about women not being able to have short hair, got to have long hair, and got to have the head covered because of it. You know, how many have been confused by that? You know? And Paul, I love this, what I love this about this is he sums it up in verse 16. He says, But if anyone seems to be contentious about these things, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Wait a minute, Paul. You just made a big deal about all this, and now you say it doesn't matter. What is up with that? Well, he was speaking into a culture. He was culturally sensitive in things that didn't really matter as far as the gospel went, but they evidently had some belief system back then. It was a cultural thing that he had to address and said, for the love of people, pay attention to these things. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> well, Paul, you just sent 2,000 years of Christian history into a tailspin by even mentioning it. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. <laughs> we need to grow up. We need to understand. So this is the context with which Paul is dealing with. The Apostle Paul many times was answering questions that we don't have the privilege of hearing the question. But he was giving answers. We believe, well, the scholars believe, I guess, and I take their word for it, uh, that there are two letters, at least two letters, two more letters uh, to the church of Corinth that, are, that would contain some of the questions and some of the dialogue back and forth. And the Apostle Paul would have answered uh, through a letter. Um, unfortunately, their letters are not retained. But you can tell by the answer that Paul was answering questions that they had in this new fledgling church who was trying to figure out what do we bring from our culture and what we had, and how do we bring that into this new thing, which is so weird and so different, and I mean, it has this incredibly high standard. How do we do this? And so Paul was spending a lot of time via letter answering questions, and that's a lot of what's happening here. There were some abuses. Let's look at verse 17. And this is immediately preceding the scriptures that we're familiar with. Now in giving these instructions, see he's answering something here. They, they asked him something. I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are proved may be recognized among you. Sometimes those who are righteous and are recognized are proven because of people who are not. I know that's a backwards way of thinking it, but that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. There are some people coming in and trying to infect this church 
with some perversions, a lot like Jezebel was doing in Thyatira, a lot like Balaam had tried to do with Balak. But because of those that are trying to bring those in, it actually approves those that are saying yes to Jesus, that are saying yes to righteousness, that are saying yes to holiness, that are saying yes to purity, that are saying yes to love, that are saying yes to sacrificial giving. Those people will be approved when those that want to pervert those things are made manifest. Does that make sense? Verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And he's not saying that you don't come together to eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying that you guys are coming together with a perversion in mind. It's really not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're bringing a perversion from what you once had, and you're trying to bring it here and do that. You're not here to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating and drinking, or for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Okay, so they were coming to the Lord's table, which is holy and it's honorable. And they're trying to bring the atmosphere of the revelry that they had in another religion. They were trying to bring in this disdain for people who had nothing. How many know the Lord Jesus is jealous of his bride? And he's as jealous for the one that has nothing as he is for the one that has a lot. And they're coming together actually dishonored the body of Christ. It dishonored those who they were in fellowship with. And it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal to Paul that this was going on. He says, I'm not praising you in this. And how many hear the heartbeat of Paul there? He's upset about this. He's carrying a righteous indignation that was in the heart of the Lord. Right? going to move on because I love just reading scripture because scripture really says it all doesn't it I'm going to skip through what we read at the beginning verses 23 and 20 to 26 and I want to come down to verse 27 because this can really uh, bring some confusion therefore whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's how big a deal this is. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. For if we should judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Oh, wait a minute. You mean I'm not supposed to be examining myself to see if I kicked the dog on the way into church this morning or 
if I have sin in my life. Right? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But sometimes we think that those are the biggie sins, and then we, don't, we ignore the lesser sins, like not having honor for one another, like not loving each other on the level where fellowship demands that kind of love. And Paul's saying, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, honor one another, be considerate of one another. Now, this isn't as impacting to us as it would have been to that culture because that is not what they grew up with. <laughs> That's not what they learned in their religious services. And if, verse 34, but if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Lest you come together for judgment. That's how big a deal this was. He's not even mentioning the biggie sins here. He's saying when you come together to eat and you're bringing a celebration that others can't partake in, you're actually not understanding the purpose of the communion table. The communion table is holy. communion table is honoring. And it's not just in our acts of, our, did I sin or didn't I sin? Yes, we, you know, we all want to walk in righteousness. But if any of us are honest, how many of us know that through introspection we could look deep enough and find something? No? You guys are really good. I can look deep enough and I can find something that would disqualify me from partaking of the Lord's Supper. Accept that. My faith is not in the righteousness that I carry. My faith is in the righteousness that I have in Christ Jesus. <laughs> there is no end to the belly button gazing we can do. There, 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 we, we, can, we can find stuff. But my faith is that I am righteous in Christ Jesus. And as one who's righteous in Christ Jesus, I live in community. I live in fellowship. I live with others who are in the same boat. Therefore, I'm not going to come and bring a nine-course meal to this table or to the church and then ignore the person that has nothing. You know, there, there's a lot of ways that we could take that. And my purpose is never to bring shame or condemnation. Never, ever, never. I, that's not where I'm at. But I do like to needle us a little bit. I do like to get us to think about how James said, how does the love of God dwell in you? If you have something, you see your brother in need, and you refuse it, how does the love of God... It was like it was unfathomable to James. He couldn't understand that. There's a place of fellowship of this oneness that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 that we have yet to discover. There's a place of honor for the body of Christ that we've yet to discover. It's that that people are going to say, look at them. See how they love each other? 
They've been with Christ. They call themselves Christian. How many know the church has a long ways to go in this? We don't get fellowship. We don't get covenant. And because my covenant is with Christ, I have covenant with you. And that I have to, from the heart, honor people who think differently than I do in the church. People who have different giftings than I have, different personalities that I have to, from the heart. And I, I, I don't even say, like, I have to, doggone it. I say, I want to. And it's only by the grace of God that we can. But I want to receive some grace here that enables me to love and to honor the body of Christ the way Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. That we would all be one as the Father and Jesus were one. How many know that's a tall order? That the oneness that Jesus has in mind, this fellowship, this koinonia, that we have one with another is a big deal. And when we come to the communion table, we're making a declaration that we are all eating of the same loaf. We're all eating of the same person. And it doesn't matter where you are or what your traditions are or whether you like me or not. It doesn't matter. None of that. It doesn't matter if you're on the other in Indonesia. It doesn't matter if you're in Thailand or somewhere on the other side of the earth. It really doesn't matter that our fellowship, our koinonia, our coming together, our honor for one another is in the person of Jesus Christ. Then the Apostle Paul, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat this. Is, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Because as often as we break bread together, we're making a declaration of the Lord's death. The power in that declaration is that his death became my death that my death became his death, that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live as an island. I've ceased living in an island. And I understand that my actions affect you and your actions affect me. And that this fellowship that we have one with another is centered by proclaiming that we have died in Christ so that we can live in Him. How many are glad to be living in Him? And that because we have an anticipation and a hope that He will return, we know that He's been raised from the dead. 
And it says in Romans chapter 6 that we're buried with him, we're, we're crucified with him, we're buried with him, and that we, by the same glory that raised Jesus from the dead, have been raised with him. So we now live in a newness of life. We live in a way that's different from the way we used to live. And it's empowered by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Because we are in Him. When we eat the bread today, we are actually partaking of the person of Jesus Christ by faith. As Catholic, I grew up... Do you know what time the kids are coming back in? Well, you don't have to go get them if they're told to come in, but... I actually ended my sermon a few minutes ago, but I'm waiting for the kids. <laughs> Bob said it years ago, when does the body, when does the bread and the wine become the body and the blood of Christ? And he answered it, he said, it's when we believe. I grew up in the Catholic Church. We took communion pretty seriously. Anybody else Catholic here by original? Yeah. And they had a beautiful tradition, probably a little bit too far. You know, they were maybe on the end of the pendulum that swung this way, and maybe we're on the end of the pendulum that swung this way. There's somewhere there's a beauty and there's a truth in it. But for them, communion was so holy. I actually had an encounter with the Lord in the Catholic Church. I was trying to be an altar boy, and um, I couldn't catch the Latin. So they didn't let me become an altar boy. So I became a preacher instead. But there was one time, you know, we were, I was practicing to be an altar boy. And what you had to do, you had to walk from one place, and of course they had the tabernacle up there, and you would stop, and you'd genuflect at it, and then you'd walk to the other place where you're going. And I remember doing that, and I remember the fear of the Lord. I mean, a good fear. I remember, whoa, I've never been this close to the tabernacle. That's where the host is. That's where Jesus is. And there was a, something that happened inside. And, you know, I was in fifth grade, and yet that stays with me. We had encounters in the Catholic Church. We've had encounters on a mountaintop with the Lord. We've had encounters... The Lord is so willing to speak to people if we'll just hear. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.